Hello and welcome to the Trainer Tools podcast and I'm here with Paul Tizard. Hi Paul, how are you? Very good, thanks Jonathan. It's been a while. Well, yeah, it's been a while, plus it's been a technological nightmare. This is about take 75 of trying to get this working, so let's hope this survives. Yes. And I'll just apologise now in case the sound quality is not that great, because we're both in hotel rooms on hotel Wi-Fi, and I forgot my proper microphone, so... And also, you're in a posh one, because you've got a microwave, a fridge, and, well, just the list goes on. There's a toaster and there's a there's um, uh, a free washing up. Uh, there's a dishwasher actually, but it's it's not really that posh. It's just a normal hotel room that's just got that in the corner. See, I've I've got a kettle. That's it. Well, this is a, this podcast is a learning resource, Paul, and so you are learning how the other half live. <laughs> Yeah. And um, thank you for thank you for doing this podcast, by the way, because I received an email. It's actually quite a while ago now, but I received an email to the Trainer Tools website, and I'm not going to say the person's name because they uh, they asked me not to. They want to keep it anonymous. They asked this question really. They said that they're working in an organisation, and they are. Let me read this out to you. When you when you're working freelance or working on your own in an internal organisation, whatever it is, but if you're sort of, it, it's a fairly lonely job anyway, being a trainer, but especially so if you're freelance. They said, how how do you learn from or get community feeling when working alone? How do you trust your own feedback when your client thinks you're great because they're just going on happy sheet, but you really want to develop? And the main bit that I actually asked to to, to address in this podcast, which I thought would be really interesting given your background, was how do you champion best practice L&D when the culture that you're in is really content with the kind of chalk and talk. So really I wanted to focus mainly on that last bit. How do you challenge culture to, to go down the L&D best practice route when the organization's way behind and perhaps they're just sort of tick box training or whatever. But I mentioned the other ones just because I know you've worked freelance for a long time. I just wondered if you had any comments on the other points as well. Yes. Uh, I've had a good think about this, as I think it's a really interesting one. I've, I've thought about it from an internal and an external perspective. So, um, yeah, just far away, ask anything. And I'm not saying that necessarily that um, I've got some golden solutions, but I've had, I've got some battle scars from having done a bit of both, uh, trying to influence from within and also as an external. And, and um, as I thought about this, I thought this was a really interesting question because there are lots of things that I've learned from, from doing it that I wouldn't do again. And uh, there's, a few, yeah, there's a few lessons, definitely. So I'm hoping it won't, it won't be teaching people suck eggs, as the expression goes, but just a couple of things occur to me. So far away. Okay, well, well let's, um, let's just see if you've got something on. And I'm sorry, I didn't really prep you for this bit, but uh, uh, reading out the whole question, he initially talks about how when you're working alone in that freelance environment, how do you get that community feeling and how do you, kind of trust your own internal feedback when your clients think you're great. So I think those those two things are kind of linked and they're all around continual professional development. Yeah. So have you got anything to comment on that first? And then we'll move on to the other bit where you have actually had time to think about it. No, I don't mind. No, so the community thing I think is interesting. Somebody I thought was very good at this was someone like Gary Platt. Now, he works – I know he does some of your podcasts as well. And yeah, yeah, he's like, a star of this podcast. Yeah, he's – and I've noticed about him that he's very active on the community forums and things. And uh, and I think that quite a lot of his work is probably like, although he's an internal guy, he has a lot of external elements. And I've always thought it was, it was good that the way he did that, 
because there are there are people out there who are similar mind and also they've there some places they've got stuff that you've never done but there is definitely that sense of community is available and um, it's just a case of tapping into those forums you know so the there's various hrd ones in fact there's loads on linkedin and stuff so it's just a case of picking a couple and then sticking with it and you get to know these people virtually so i've gone through various phases of doing it and it's just really you just look at it what can i do to help someone else and it seems to be it, it seems to work that way you just go on and think can i answer a question for somebody just in 10 minutes that might help them and then it then you're kind of building up a sense of I don't know, sort of friendship, loyalty or something with other people that when you need something that's more likely to be reciprocated. So I've no, I think that's a really good tip. I know that's a really interesting one as well, just, just on that point. I mean, Gary's extremely active on LinkedIn in particular, mm. and he's certainly worth following because he, he shares an enormous amount of really interesting things. So I, I definitely would recommend following him on LinkedIn. But yeah. I think the most important thing you said there was start by trying to help somebody else. Yes. And don't start by trying to tweet pearls of wisdom or, you know, those kind of that, that's all outward broadcast, because that's exactly not what social media really is for. It's really irritating. You know, like, for instance, those that go on and they say, someone says, I don't think we've got any icebreakers to do this, such and such. You just give it as a gift. Please don't put the second paragraph, which is, but obviously I could come and run that for you or any of that rubbish. Because it just annoys people. So it, it's just genuinely like, I want to just, that's the thing that Gary does. And I know it works from, from a commercial point of view because he's almost doing that, creating emotional debt with people because he's just giving stuff freely. It also Reciprocity. Sorry, John. Re- reciprocity. I believe it's the Cialdini thing. Even better. It, you know, he's giving stuff which is useful, but it also, it, there is a, another benefit that you do get a kickback from it because you are when you write things it helps you formulate your thinking around certain topics and so it's a bit like training you never get as you you don't really know a topic until you train somebody else and then you know then you find out what you don't know because you get asked a question or you have to put it in such a succinct manner and so i think writing those blogs or linkedin articles or answering questions on forums does the same it this because you are thinking about a topic in a in a much broader way without necessarily being able to read the audience in front of you yeah i think i think you're right and i think the the key thing to me with stuff like that is approach it as you're building a relationship don't approach it as you're trying to sell it's not a sales vehicle it's a relationship building vehicle at best and In, in the same way as you would if you just met somebody and they asked for your advice, you wouldn't start trying to sell, sell, sell at that point. You would, you would just chat with them. You'd just build a relationship. Yeah, I always think it's a bit like when if you if you're going out on a first date, the you know when you get to dessert, you wouldn't sort of offer up so we set a date or where are you going with this? Yeah, can I meet your parents? You know, it's it's just about oh, okay. recognizing. So I've gone off tangent here. So it's just about recognizing that it is just literally. This is just an exchange of information, but I'm actually going to give some stuff with no expected reward in mind. Great. Okay. And you were going on to say something else then when I interrupted. Oh, I doubt it. I doubt it was useful. But um, what was the other thing you said about the... Well, you were going to say something else about that. and Because and, you said, and the second thing. And then I said, yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's probably, okay. it's probably irrelevant. <laughs> don't worry about it. Sorry, I should have warned you about this part of the question before we recorded. 
but the it, it, this this bit of the question we're talking about now is is about the community and you said about the sort of social media stuff as as being an option yeah and then we were going on to talk about the other part of the question how do you trust your own internal feedback when all your clients think you're great but yes. all yes. they're going on happy and that was essentially just how do you improve yourself when you're just not getting challenged is the way i interpret that question i think i think you need to seek out your your um, seek out your own heroes and you know find people that you think are better than you and sometimes it's quite hard to work out where you are with that because in a protected environment where everyone says, yeah, I'm just about to leave the room, so I'll write anything you want, and I know you're going to read it, so how honest am I going to be? You need to find, I think you need to go put yourself on stuff. So do things which are training related, if you can afford it, get the budget sign off, but also put yourself on things where you're out of your comfort zone. So you could try things like improvisation, you know, that's that stuff where they... It's not acting, but they're forcing you to have to think on your feet and it will massively challenge you. Go to go and join development groups of doing something else or learn another, do a, learn another skill or language or something. You'll, and you'll be seeing other people's styles, which will give you something to reference. You can't help when you're training it, but watch. So it's a bit like people who've been cabin crew, which, you know, we, we can relate to it with our airline background that they can never fly as a passenger ever again because they're always looking around and sussing out the way the service is done and what's it feel like. You can never switch off. Just like policemen can't go into a, a pub and relax unless it's full of other policemen or policewomen. Right. You know, you're always, you're, you're, your alert level has been raised. So when you go on a course with somebody, it doesn't matter what it is, you are, you'll be looking around thinking, how do I feel? Um, how have they set up the day? Which bits do I like? And that gives you, so that's a very safe way of doing it. Slightly more risky is, like I say, going on something like improvisation or stage presence training or something which is away from what you would normally do and isn't just going on Myers-Briggs training or something that's going to be the same. Go to somewhere where they will push you to, to be uncomfortable because that's what we do to people every day. So in it, I've, I've found whenever I've done that, as much as it terrifies me, I always come back much better because I've been, I've had feedback that, that I wasn't expecting. I did a, a BBC presenters course a few years ago and, and I thought I'd be, I thought I was going to ace it. <laughs> and they literally were, it was brutal, but it, it was so powerful because it, there was no sort of like that, there was no history. So they had nothing to gain by, blowing sunshine you know as the expression goes but they they were literally just very very honest you did this you didn't do that work on that it was there was none of this fluff that i would do you know so how do you think it came across none of that it was struck right between the eyes <laughs> so that was so i think things like that can just push you a bit to sort of think beyond the the obvious ways that we would normally learn now i'm not sure if that's what people want to hear but that's that's what i think in answer to that so it's looking. So it's looking at how those other facilitators do, or putting yourself, like you said, about the the improvisation. We did a podcast a while ago with Paul Levy about that, and he talked about how improvisation was something that he practiced quite a lot of. And he was actually a, a member of an organisation which I name I've forgotten now, but it's something like the Applied Improvisation Network. And it was theatrical in nature, but it's the skills could be used just as well in learning and development and it's just quite it's quite an advanced skill to develop and it's quite fun to do 
it's very re rewarding to sort of think that actually I, I'm not just going to be wedded to my process. I'm actually going to listen to the people in the room and, and just see where this goes. And it, it's very rewarding as a, as a skill and as a, a way to run a session. Yes. Another thing that's occurred to me as you said that, John, is um, something I found out recently was um, just looking around for to develop for myself. And I started looking at group facilitation. Um, as a as a facilitator for a long time and having done some training and it, I always sort of wonder if there's if there's more that I could do. But you'll only ever f facilitate a group to the level of your own comfort. So, for instance, you know, same with coaching. That if you haven't been challenged or been made to think about some of these things yourself, you can never take anybody else there because you're you'd be too scared of what you might unearth. And with facilitation, if you're not happy with conflict. You're, you're in very sort of micro signal way. You will signal that to the group and they won't release that stuff. Or if they do, you won't react well to it. And then it just closes things down. So I know it sounds a bit deep, but one of, so I was thinking about this and thinking, well, what could somebody do who, who perhaps wants to push themselves? And, and I found just by chance, by looking around on the internet, lots of courses which were using different things like Gestalt or psychodynamic processes for group dynamics. So a lot of these people that work in clinical settings will use groups and group therapy as a way to help people move through different stages. And it, and it got me thinking that there would be a lot that could be used in our world where some of us might have just sort of fallen into training, found that we liked it or good at it, and, and then just have kind of learned on the job. But something like that would be a very robust way to get some skills input and compare yourself to people who are working with you know quite damaged individuals or and here's the really good bit about it that they're much cheaper they're much cheaper than any other courses i've found because they're aimed at people who are who are self-funding so you get people who are nurses and doctors and then you have psychotherapists and you'll have trainers and facilitators and coaches I found one the other day and I couldn't believe the price. I was thinking, goodness, that's really good value, you know, and you know you're going to get really good stuff from it. So you certainly piqued my interest there with the with the cheapness of it. <laughs> Direct contrast yeah, to things you know, like Prince Two training and stuff like that. Second, sorry. So I I talked over you. Um, I said these people will challenge you, you know, particularly they're they're not frightened of of owning what's going on and 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 calling stuff. So they will name much more so in the moment if you are used to working with groups there are those moments where you can feel like a discussion is happening and sometimes it might go off on a kind of what might be perceived as a negative spiral and then a lot of trainers will try and recover that because they're thinking about the happy sheet whereas these people they don't care about that they think well i'm here to to challenge assumptions behaviors etc etc and it and it can be really really effective so I think that could be quite a good route for people. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the, the happy sheet, I think, gets in the way in that sense because it ends up being a popularity contest which could hold you back, especially if you're genuinely being judged on the outcome of the happy sheet. Yes. And actually, it could, it could steer you away from having those more challenging or confrontational question, uh, challenge, uh, feedback. And, if, and, and again, that was something else that came up in a previous Paul Levy podcast as well, actually, the one about collusion and mediocrity, which was one of the very first ones that we recorded. And since then, I've never really looked at happy sheets in the same way. 
I've kind of avoided them because I just don't find them very valuable. And as I said, I I do feel that they hold me back, so I don't use them if I can avoid it if I'm allowed. But okay, so so there's some interest. Sorry. No, you go. (laughs) As I say, unfortunately, a lot of clients will still look at the happy sheets and. You know, I, I won't say it's only level one and level two feedback, but they don't care. They, they're, they're too busy reading it. And so um, it is a tricky one because whilst you're trying to educate uh, as much as you can without meaning you saying pompous, the client, what else are they going to go on? You know, they, unless you've had the ability to be able to do really good analysis beforehand and set some measurement, which is at a much deeper level, most people will go on those sheets or, or even, you know, they'll just go on what someone told them who's on the course that they bumped into. Right. And it is, you could argue that's a fairly accurate measure of it. It's a bit of a water cooler moment. You know, people are being honest, but it's not brilliant. So you're always in that sort of situation. How much do I push the group and, and risk them saying, hated him, he pushed us. You know, you're hoping at the end of it that it will come out product- positive and productive and that they'll see the bigger picture. But it is a risk. It is a risk, and you, as you say, I mean, it's it's feedback of a sort. I mean, you could get a sort of a qualitative quality. Is that the word? Uh, I feel like there's a couple of too many syllables in there, but that water cooler <laughs> feedback, as you said. But that's not about whether or not it makes a difference. It's not about whether or not performance was improved. All that is is feedback about yeah, it was a nice guy, or yeah, it was a bit of a fun day. Yeah, and that's- you know, I, I, that's that's not useful feedback, really, because you you know. Uh, if people are enjoying the day anyway that's not really what's important what's important is are they able to take something back to the workplace does it drive performance improvement was it worth the money that's what matters yes. and that can only really be done by doing that bit of analysis at the beginning and deciding what you want to achieve etc everything else to me is, is is kind of just a bit of fluff really yeah but i think you know i think i would say 99 percent of trainers know when they've done a good job and yeah you don't need to look at the sheets. The sheets are just affirmation. But I, I always, someone said to me years ago, you're only as good as the last course you ran. So I, I, I honestly swear by this. I literally set back to zero. Each time I go in, I think, fantastic course yesterday means nothing today. They weren't on it. So you're back at zero again. So every day you have to sort of almost reprove yourself that what you've got to offer is valid. Yeah, it's like the, well, I mean, you do because you get new people in front of you anyway. Mm, yes. So each day is like a new start in a sense, and you've got to. And there's words of Scroobius Pip. You've got to. Thou shall always kill. You've got to always go out there and deliver. Have I confused you with that reference? You've gone quiet. I've. I've. Yes. I'm just. I was just wondering whether to go along with it, make a noise like, oh yeah, like I knew what you were talking about. Go along with it, but um, Google whilst talking, or, or just fess up and say, what the hell are you talking about? Option three, what are you talking about? Well, it was, it's just it's a song from popular culture called oh. Thou, Sh- Thou Shall Always Kill. It was spoken words performer Scroobius Pip with Dan Lassac. And they, uh, it was ages ago. You must remember that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That's not what's well, important. Well, the point it's is... It's important to you, John. You know, so well, the, the phrase Thou Shall Always Kill, okay. I really okay. like that because it's like... I, I'm the kind of person that tends to always view today as just sort of practice for tomorrow. And I don't always give it the focus it should. And I think I use that as a kind of mantra in my head to remind myself, no, this is, this matters. Everything matters. You've got to show up now and deliver now. 
Mm. And so I find that very useful in terms of focusing my mind. You can't just be rehearsing for tomorrow. Every, you know, today counts too. Okay, I like that. I'm with you. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. Let, let's move on to the actual point of this podcast, which was the, oh, yes. the one they actually asked you to prepare for, <laughs> rather than just sprung on you at the last minute. And this was the bit about if you're in an organisation, either as an internal or an external, you said you thought about it from both points of view. But you're in that organisation, you want to champion best practice, but their culture is content with the sort of chalk talk stuff, the old-fashioned training-y stuff, and you want to do some posh modern workplace learning or whatever the phrase is. Yes. Okay. You sound surprised. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 because I'm just thinking about the order to deliver. I've, so, so, so I've got some a few bits around internal, a few bits external, some thoughts. So, all right. So, first of all, so you're you're an internal person. Sometimes people have I I know some people that have been brought into organisations because of something they've the organisation feels that they can offer, and they'll say something like, "Yeah, we we want that stuff that you do. We want you to come in and." really you know bring us up to date and and all that sort of stuff and you think oh fantastic everyone's up for it (laughs) and and then you get in there and you realize that not that they were lying but no one else told nobody told everybody else and if they have told (laughs) everyone else they're very suspicious of you so that's one scenario another scenario is you internally you're chugging away and then you go on a course or something, you read a book and you think, whoa, we could be doing something different. And then you decide to change everything. And uh, and I think that's a tricky one. As an internal person, very quickly you are categorized. And so it's harder to suddenly to do something radically different because they've already decided what you are. Um, so when you well, What do you mean by that? Sorry? Can you just, just explain that? Sorry, what do you actually mean by that when you say that they, you're already categorized? So when you, you come in, you're, you're at zero. So although you might have been brought in as this big shot to do such and such and such and such, you literally don't know anything about the culture. You don't know who are the, you don't know who are the key people to talk to who are like the levers. So you're, you're desperately trying to, to work out what needs to be done. So you've got an idea which could be based on something you've read. It could be something you did at a previous organization, but you are now trying to crowbar this into the current situation and i don't think people like it very much because you are coming in like oh this will be amazing this will be this and this and this and but it's almost done quite blindly because you don't know quite what the situation is to, that you're dealing with so i always think that you should perhaps take a, a slightly different approach to this so if you've got massive like buy-in well let me tell you a story so a, a friend of mine this happened to he was he was brought in, literally given the brief. We've seen you do the training type stuff and we love all the facilitation and we love all that accelerated learning that you do. We want you to come in and raise the bar with all the other trainers. So he thought to himself, fantastic, what a great job. Get to do what I love. Bring some other people along with me. He got in there. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, and then he found out that, that there was a very different story and that people were very suspicious of him. They were a bit like, well, you don't know how it works around here. And so he, he actually met, met more resistance. What he would have they'd been better, I think, was just to sort of bring him in and say, here's another trainer. He's got, he's got some different ways of working to ours and 
he's going to learn from us, and we're going to learn from him, blah de blah And done almost a bit of a low-key sell. Yeah. Um, and then... Well, there's, no, there's, there's nothing worse than somebody saying, here's someone come in to tell you everything you've done wrong, and they know, <laughs> they know everything. <laughs> Which is essentially what you're doing in that situation, isn't it? No, exactly. And it's very tricky because you're thinking, oh, I've got these great ideas and I feel like I'm, I'm going to become de-skilled if I don't get to share this stuff. But it is almost, it's bordering on arrogance because you have to be very, very careful that people, that they're not necessarily receptive to it. So I think that the tips for an internal person is to actually go under the radar. Let, let your results speak for you. So don't waste time trying to convince people that we should be doing this, we should be doing that. I think it's the old cliche, be the change. Do the things that you do with the groups that you work with and then wait for people to be curious about, oh, I noticed that, you know, if, if it's feedback sheets that, that people said this or what was I heard that you did some exercise, blah, 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 and then almost teach them without teaching them. So say, oh, yeah, yeah, you've probably used this yourself, but I did this and I did that and it just seemed to work, you know. But say it is almost as if you, it, it, it's, uh, you're not trying to convince them. You're just, in, just answering their questions. Now, I know it sounds all a bit sort of underhand and sneakiness, because it is. There's, <laughs> there's nothing worse than someone coming in, giving it the know-it-all. Now, different cultures might welcome that, but all the ones I've ever worked in seem to be you're better off if you stay fairly humble and just say, yeah, I've tried a few ideas out and, uh, yeah, happy to talk you through them, you know, or maybe come and sit in if, tell me what you think you know and if, you know you know the culture better than i do is that you know i found this worked but you might think you might look at it and think it could be done even better you know i'm just coming in with a sort of like an outside perspective really so that's how i would say if you're an internal person just be really just look for people who look, look interested and use them it doesn't matter what level they're at so people will often say you'll find the key stakeholders the the, the decision-making person, and they might even do that irritating thing of saying DMP, you know, because that makes it more powerful. But I I've never heard that. Really oh, yeah. I've never heard of a DMP. There you go. So if anyone uses that, there you go. Who's the MP? So, um, so you're coming in, in that example there, you said you're sort of coming in deliberately being primed to shake it all up. But what you're actually saying is come in mm. humbly, quietly listening and as and when people ask, just um, just tell them what you're doing, but not in a, any way of trying to sell or not trying to convince. So just a kind of a, a humble, yeah. you know, looking for ways where you can learn from them because they know the culture or they know the, yeah. the ground better than you do. And being respectful because it might be that they've all the sort of amazing things that you think they should be doing, they've, they've maybe tried before or maybe they've they're not ready for that sort of stuff it's not applicable to the type of things they do so finding spending the time to sort of find out about them you know what sit in on things what you know see how they do things already and then you can find people who kind of light up when you say things and then you know who your influences are and i i don't believe it has to be key people around the organization i find that a groundswell can be just as effective when people start to like what you've got to say and then um, and then you're just slowly slowly uh, starting to influence and i think that's much more well for me that's more confident with how i like to be influenced i don't want someone telling me what i should be doing i want i want someone to consult you know or to involve me in a way which isn't 
like I, I don't know anything, you know. So I, I've just found that people tend to respond to a much more reasonable approach, and and what that does is create that slight pull that they want to then. So so what would you do about this then? And you can try, probably try this or try that, you know. But really, matter of fact, like. But this is, you know, I'm not saying this right. Just what I found that is has helped, you know, not to try and sort of steamroller in because people would, do, well, then would just might be overtly compliant, but actually they don't, they don't really think it's not going to stick. Well, they won't ask you again, will they? If you make them feel, you know, like one inch high or whatever, because you go in there as the big know-it-all with all the answers, then people are unlikely to come back to you, I think. Yeah. And and you made the point there about influence, and I think that's that's a, a really good point to work really worth making is that there was a quote in i think it's game of thrones for my second popular culture reference of the podcast of i think it it's the valley varis valis i don't know somebody in game of thrones i forget uh what his name is but he said influence is mainly a matter of patience and i think it's a really important point is when it comes to being influential mm-hmm. it is about having a track record having a credibility having integrity having relationships and with people so they they know who you are and it really is a matter of patience there isn't a magic bullet to being influential there just isn't no it's hard and work groundwork really sorry sorry john i think the person i've i've met who's really good at that is whom you know as well it's a guy called andy cross and um He's worked his way through oh, yeah. and got himself to a position where he's been very senior in quite a few organisations. And he's really good at just listening and then sort of pulling you along to what kind of probably the, the idea he had in his head. But it doesn't feel like you're being manipulated. It feels like you're being consulted. And he will adjust based on what people say or what the cultural expectations are. And I think that's a really, I think it's an amazing skill. I'd, you know, I'd love to say I have lots of that. I've got some of it. But when I see people like that, it just feels very honest and authentic and people respond well to it. Yeah, well, everyone likes being um, asked their opinion. People like being consulted. People Obviously, people like being respected. So, yeah, absolutely. I feel like I'm sort of um, stating the obvious, but sometimes it's very easy when you get uh, an idea in your head that to sort of overlook the other cues you're being given. And, um, you know, they're really important. You can only go at the pace that they're ready to receive it. And it might be that you weren't right anyway. So you just, I think the more you can kind of pace yourself with them, the better the chance of it landing well. Okay, so so what we're looking at there was that scenario where you're coming in externally with a kind of brief to shake this lot up, you know, take us to this nirvana of amazing accelerated learning stuff. What were the other scenarios that you were going to talk about? Well, I was going to talk about, so that was really like, that was in a scenario where you're, someone said, we like your stuff, come in and work with us. So you're now employed. If you're employed and you're, you see things that aren't right, you need to play the long game. And sometimes it's easier to bring in external, other externals as kind of battering rams. So they come in, they'll say something, they'll bring in some ideas that will then, it's not you doing it then it's just like oh this this external is going to go through this with us and then you can do the which bits can we use which bits won't we use when but you're using somebody else to say your words which is a little bit manipulative but that's what people use externals for it's just uh, sometimes it's more helpful coming from somebody outside 
to just sort of just hold up a mirror to you and say this is where you are this is where you could be you know so i guess i was going to go i was going to actually talk more about a couple of scenarios that have happened directly happened to me where i've been asked to come in and to, to do this you know bring us up to date and all this stuff like like i would necessarily know but they've got a perception that what you're offering is different to what they've got and they want to you know jolly things along <laughs> and i've just made a few notes of some things that have happened along the way which i thought were quite that i learned them the hard way let's put it that way okay we'll go on then <laughs> looking forward to this bit okay so the first thing is this is going to sound really negative but the people that have asked you to come in to do the thing even if it sticks it's only going to stick with those people that are there and then they will leave and you've already yeah. left so as an external your influence is is to sort of to to be realistic with yourself and say well I, i'm not going to make a long-term change you know i won't get them to fundamentally change from this unless some people who are there who are inspired stay and then it will become the norm but you're only as effective as the people that are sticking around they might take it somewhere else of course but it is it, to sort of be realistic with yourself and say i have a finite amount of influence here and it's only for as long as those humans stay so that's the first thing it's not meant to be negative but that is the, that is the reality you know? so as soon as someone else comes in you're out the door and they're going to change it to however they want anyway so it's it, it's a, a time limited thing unless the individuals stay well that, that's interesting because that's sort of the other side of the coin that you just said where if you're the internal person you can get an external person to come in and tell you and then it's not you in this scenario you are the external person mm. coming in and as you say don't beat yourself up too much it's not you're doing what you can in that time but that's it you then have to walk away and leave it's up to them to then carry the ball from then on yes great okay so some things that have occurred to me so first of all the person that's invited you in is excited to invite you in and loves your stuff don't assume others are as excited right has this happened to you you said this this has been sort of painful memories here this is therapy right now. I could tell there was anguish in your voice. <laughs> it's true. So don't assume that the other people are excited or even that they've even heard of you. So the mistake I've made is coming in, going all oh, jolly, putting the music on and getting the koosh balls out on the table and toys around and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And people looking at me like I'm some sort of alien because I've done too much. I've assumed that everyone else is where this person is and they're not. No way. <laughs> that's tip number one just assume that they don't know anything about it and they couldn't give us stuff and then if you get anything that's above that you're on you're in a good place so it's not meant to be negative it's just sort of like born out of painful learning <laughs> it, it's similar again to what you sort of said before about each time is like the first time you know you're only as good as your last training and you can't yeah you, know, you can't breeze in on reputation there's only three things I know, so I just keep churning them out, but I use different words. Well, I think it, it's a good point. And if you're in, if you are internal, you do have an element of being able to build up a reputation. And like all trainers, some people will think you're great and will love your style, but some people won't. No. There'll always be people that just don't like you as much. Always. It always happens. If you're external, you really don't have that same starting place. You're always starting from zero, which is in some ways good, in some ways helpful. But in other ways, yeah, you can't assume any goodwill or anything in particular. No. So, so we're now we're back to the basics again. So this is going to be really obvious, but it's it's easy in this scenario 
where they've invited you in, where you think, oh, this is fantastic. These are the sort of clients I want to be working with. They're, they're like-minded. Uh, you, know, you get lulled into it. So, the, so tip number one, don't assume others are excited. Tip number two, really obvious, meet them all. So anyone that's going to be subjected to your stuff, find a way to have some contact with them because people are much more receptive to you if the first time they meet you is away from the training or whatever it is you're going to do, that you've got a chance to build a bit of rapport, to listen to them, ask them what they've heard, what they know already, and um, and then to, then you can tell them, oh, you know, what I've been asked to do is blah, blah, blah. What do you think about that? And uh, and it, it saves so much problems, so many problems and so much trouble just by doing that little bit. Now, you don't have to physically go and meet them. You can have arranged phone calls or you could do Skypes or you could, you know, you could just eat, you could even email all of them and with a quick, you know, some sort of survey monkey or, but to have some contact with every single human that's going to be there because the ones that you don't speak to or have any dealings with are going to be the ones potentially that are going to be your blockers later on because they felt like, well, it's just been done to me. Why should I be? I'm not interested in this. I know it's obvious, but it's it's really easy. Well, it's to not obvious, that. really. It's not obvious, I don't think, because I think a lot of time with your external, you wouldn't think about that much engagement beforehand. You would just kind of pile in there, mm. do your stuff, and then leave, you know, with your invoice left on the table. You might not necessarily think about that pre-engagement stuff. Well, I, I learned it painfully, Jonathan, very painfully, <laughs> running a team event where the team manager said, we're all really up for it. And I went and ran it and found that they weren't all really up for it. No, he was really up for it, just that one person. Yeah, <laughs> nobody else is up for it at all. <laughs> I remember you talking about that when we talked about team building uh, podcast, actually, and I've used that quite a lot, some of the stuff that you uh, recommended in that cast. Right. I should also well, say as well that um, Sunita Semi, she does quite a few podcasts with us as well, and she did this. She talked about the importance of stuff you should do before, during, and after. And she was looking at it from an external perspective. And she made a similar point about making sure there's some kind of introduction beforehand as well. So good to know that you're echoing previous advice. Yeah. I hope you're not repeating too much. No, not at all. Okay, well, so obviously a bit. I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> huh, yeah. But, but amplifying, uh, the uh, amplifying, which is fine, that's not the same as repeating. No, I like that, yeah. Very positive reframe. Uh, so the third thing I say is, is if you can get in and observe them doing stuff. So if it's to do, if it is a training thing, if it is an environment, so if it's for a team event, go and sit with that team and just see what they do. I know these are really obvious things for, when I say it like this, but sometimes they can get missed because the more you can pick up the odd bit of language is useful for that type of scenario. But if you actually go and watch the training, and say, put me. Can I watch some of your best trainers and just sit in for half a day, and you'll get a feel for where they are, which then takes me to the second chunk of stuff that you can do. So, so that's similar, sort of about touching base with them beforehand, making contact with them beforehand, and then actually observing them is slightly sort of deeper version of the same thing in terms of just getting to know them beforehand. So the first time they meet you isn't standing at the front of a training room prancing around with music and soft toys. They'll say, what do you know? What do you know about what we do? Yeah. It's a valid pushback, isn't it? You know? It is, absolutely. Okay, so now you've done all that, okay? You've gone in, you've done these, you've, you've done a bit of finding out things, 
you've agreed with the client, these are the objectives I'm going to meet. It's all the great trainery type stuff that we would do. And then I would say you go for it small time. Okay. What does that, what does that look like or what, what's that mean? Typically, you are asked to do something. Oh, we want you to do this, we want you to do that. You know, bring us out of the chalk and talk, dinosaurs, la de blah. I don't think that it's helpful to go in and do full on. So, for instance, if you've got a group, so I've had a client where I went in there and the training rooms were single desks with a seating plan and there was a whiteboard and there was a, a padlock and a chain on the flip chart stand. <laughs> right. So, yeah, and you couldn't move the tables to make it like anything more than what it was. Was this in a prison or something? There was these rules all around, and they said, we want to get away from chalk and talk. We want some real update stuff. Um, so I made the mistake going in with all the toys and the music and the sweets, and I think I might have even had incense burning, you know, like some lemon. All this stuff, they say this lemon, was it lemongrass, whatever, uh, accentuates learning, you know. <laughs> they must have thought I was some sort of crazy because it was so far removed from where they were that actually go for it small time rather than going for it big time would have been a better approach. So you could have gone in and not put any stupid stuff out that would just freak them out. But you could just do a few things different and then you could introduce a little bit. But because you know where they are, you're not assuming that they want to be where you are, which is, well, they look like some sort of circus person coming in, you know. You're just trying to sort of, so you go for it small time, meet them nearer to where they are because you're more likely then to pull them along because you can then try stuff out once you've got their trust but coming in like some sort of circus crazy just puts puts them straight away into this place where they can't they feel out uncomfortable and they're not quite sure what you're about and it's just too much okay so if they've actually got the flip chart nailed down and padlocked <laughs> <laughs> I can't, why would you do that? Like, it's a flip chart. We, we have a possibly... high trust culture around here. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't move the tables even. Were they bolted down as well? They were, they were, um, they were set, so they were all locked into each other. So you'd have rows oh, okay. with a gap. There's sort of like a bar that joined them together. And um, you had to get security or somebody to come and unlock the bar so that you could then break the formation. But... Um, it was it was an interesting experience, and it wasn't that long ago. We're not talking like the eighties or anything. <laughs> so really, yeah. I found that that well, I suppose I suppose that those are fairly sort of superficial things. But was that reflective of the culture in the organisation? Absolutely. Right. Okay. Okay. So it was very much rigid rules, strict stuff, and and you walked in there with your cuddly toys and incense burning and <laughs> With my big all of that stuff and music <laughs> i thought what on earth what planet's this guy from you know so it's just too much too soon so go for it small time you can meet them where they are you know and then just a little bit more you're there to work within the culture not completely change it to the point where it becomes an insult so because what it, what it lands with them is what you're saying is essentially everything you're doing is wrong and what I'm doing is right. Da-da. Yeah, which never lands particularly well, does it, really? No one likes to hear that. It's a way of damaging relationships. Don't challenge everything all at once because I mean, is it very easy when you come as an external and you look at a place where they are? And, you know, I've heard people say, we've got, you know, we're very traditional around here, and um, but I want you to, to change that, you know. It's, 
But the interesting thing is it's, everything's changing so much that you are at a point in time. So regardless of what you think you're doing is you might think you're being really revolutionary, but there's somebody just around the corner who's going to say, oh, you don't do all that stupid music and toys on the table stuff, do you? Uh, you know, we, we don't do that right now. We do this and uh, out well or something else, which I haven't even considered. So we're all old hat. We just, no, no one's told us. But I remember when, um, I remember a real revolution in one training place I worked in where we, we decided that we'd put the tables in a U shape. Wow. And that was like, whoa, yeah, we're not going to line them up. We're going to put them in a U shape. Wow, that's groundbreaking stuff. It was crazy talk. And then, and then, then let's let's get rid of the tables. Let's just have chairs. Then let's get rid of the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you know, at the time it was like, wow, that's really radical. You know, now when you look at it, you just think that still is the case in terms of like seating arrangements. <laughs> to be honest, it's still remar- people pay remarkably little attention to the environment. I think, other than bringing in a mm. box of toys or whatever, mm. which I actually don't do, but. People pay remarkably little attention to things like seating and lighting and comfort and just just the physical environment. And I, and I do think, it, I mean, it's the, the most important thing by any means, but it, it certainly is an important factor. Yes. So what you're saying in this one is, I suppose, quite similar. Again, it, it, it's being humble. It's just changing it one step at a time, not going out there like you've got all the answers and you're the big shot and they have to bow down to your wisdom. It's really being cleverer about it and just one step at a time, one one or two changes at a time and just trying stuff out and trying to bring people with you. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, yes, it is, yeah. And you're not necessarily right. Just because you've been invited in, just because you've got some amazing ideas, you know, it's your definition of right and actually it's much more authentic to try and understand what's going on and try and meet them where they are. And then, you know, if there is some stuff that can be done, then it's just kind of pacing it with them, not coming in like sort of all guns blazing. Like, here we are, this is the future. <laughs> I do a welcome board when people come into the room and some people said to me, somebody said to me the other day, I was re- I really like that welcome board that you did having our names on the flip chart. I've never seen anyone do that before. And, um, and I thought to myself, well, I've been doing that for about 18 years. Someone told me it was a good thing to do, so I did it. But people are all at different places, so it's not... I didn't think that was particularly innovative or different, but for somebody who'd never seen it before, it was. So we're all just, it's all relative to what we know, and it's not that necessarily you're right. You just, you're trying to help them where they are, nudge it on a little bit if you think you can, but be respectful of the fact that everything that they're doing has been for a reason and it's worked for them today. You know, it's just now that they're considering something else. Yeah, and, and as you said, I mean, you're not always right. Because even if you do have great experience and knowledge and uh, best practice, whatever, you don't necessarily know the context of the organization. And even if, even if you are right, even if you do know the context of the organization and you do know better about L&D and the people you're trying to influence aren't that successful, they're just stuck in their ways or just not motivated, still the most effective tactic you're saying is actually to just still do it step by step. Don't try and do it all at once. Just try and bring them with you point by point. I guess try and prove your case wherever you can. Get positive feedback wherever you can to prove your point. But essentially it's about 
step by step, isn't it? It's just yes. Yes. what did you say? Small. Play the long game. Play the long game, and you said something else about small. What was it you said? Play the small. Go for it, small time. Small time. That was it. Yeah. Small time, long game. <laughs> That's what you're saying. I could have just saved you 50 minutes of your life. Just said that at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> small time, long game. <laughs> So th- are those all the scenarios that you were thinking through? That's the limit of my knowledge, yes. Well, I suppose one last question, Paul, before you go then, because we sort of assumed that you're going to be quite, you- you're going to be influential in this example, but let's, your softly, softly, catchy monkey, slow approach doesn't work. What if somebody turns around and says, no, sorry, we just don't do it like that, and you get that kind of very explicit resistance? For example, no, I'm sorry, you're a trainer, you've got to be doing all the talking. Or, no, you've got to put the desks this way, no, you've got to do this, you've got to follow this process, you can't be flexible. Whatever it is, what are you going to do then if you've got that explicit resistance? Okay, well, it depends where it's happening. If it's on a course, you'll often have, if someone feels that way, it's typically that you've just pushed too far from what they perceive as their safe place for and what training or delivery is all about. And I would do the classic facilitation there. So does everyone feel that way? You know, and so some people will and some people won't. You just say, well, it's not about, it's not a race. I'm not saying that what we're doing, you have to do tomorrow. It's just, I'd like you to, to explore it. You know, that's the whole point of why we're here to reflect on what we're currently doing. Does it work for everybody or is it working because it, it works for us? There will be some people that absolutely that's what they want you to do and, and then should do that. And then, but there are times when we need to flex, and that's just about our own professional integrity. That's in a, that's in a training venue. If it was outside of it, so sometimes I'll, I've picked up the odd sort of resistance from, say, somebody who's quite senior, who's not a trainer, who's who just has decided that, that they don't like the way it is. So the, the worst mistake you can ever do <laughs> is describe how the training is going to run. You, you know, because the minute you say, "Well, I thought I'd do this activity," they put a, they put a satsuma on their head, and then in group, <laughs> I get, you know, you, you forget it. You know, the minute you start describing something, it, 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 if they really are resistant, they will just jump on that, and they'll say, "No, we don't. We don't. Do, our people don't like doing silly games like satsuma games." <laughs> so you're better right. off sort of being really broad and just saying, you know. Do, is this the stuff that you want? Because, you know, originally when you asked me, it was like, we want to do this, we want to do that. And these are the ideas I've had. But we can go at the pace that you think they're ready for. And if you don't think they're ready for this, let's look at some ways that we can do some changes or some experiments where we can try out different things. And sometimes I've just literally said, OK, I've, I've taken that on board. What I'll do is when I run the training, let's just see what the feedback's like and perhaps we can get back together and just talk about what worked and what didn't work and and that gives people a bit of time to save face because if you do know your stuff the reality is you know people so regardless of the culture that they're working or the organization this doesn't sound really arrogant it's not meant to but people are people and essentially once you've got their rapport and you've got them learning they're going to learn so you then can then report back and say what worked and what didn't work. And sometimes your ideas, you're, you're absolutely right, they, they, they're bonkers. And so, but you don't know till you do it. So it's, I guess in a nutshell, what you're saying, let's, let's, let's try some experiments. We want, let's work out what will work with people, but we can, let's be a bit flexible about what we can try. So, so you're not trying to sort of say, 
I'm right, you're wrong. You just say, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that on board, and we'll try, we'll try some stuff out, see how it goes. Because it is that long game thing, isn't it? There's no point fighting them. It's better off using the aikido technique and sort of redirecting the, the pressure somewhere else. You know, take, redirect their energy towards. Yeah, okay, I get that. I don't know them as well as you do. So let's try. Let's try a few experiments. If you permit me with that, and then we perhaps we can get back together and see how it went. Aikido is that the one where you hit people with sticks? Uh, you can use stick, but it is just the uh, like judo. You use the opponent's force, so it doesn't matter how big or strong they are, because you're always redirecting the force rather than, let's say, something like karate, where you're directly um, confronting. Just that sort of idea of just trying to redirect it into another way, rather than sort of being combative. All right. So you're not suggesting that you hit them with a stick, just to be clear. Um, you could you could hit them with a stick, um, but you need to make sure you've been paid. Okay, so really it's a sort of a similar point in terms of just skillful skillful human interaction, isn't it? Really, just kind of listening to people, taking on board their point, but also there's a certain amount of robustness, isn't there, and a certain amount of confidence in the fact that actually I know how to facilitate. I know people. I know that activity, conversation, all of that works a lot better than death by PowerPoint mm. or whatever point you're trying to prove. Yes. And I, you know, and so there is a certain amount of robustness and confidence in the process, in the method there. But it's really about how you soften the edges and and try and bring people with you, keep away from confrontation, and about saving their face as well. Of course, not trying to win or put them in a position where they have to win. Yes. Anyway, I know it all. Saying when I, as you play it back to me, I think I sound very namby pamby, you know, like dancing around people. Oh well, we can try this, we can try that. But I just I think it's, well, I'd sum it up, you know, being a trainer or helping people to learn or develop is a lot more than just being in the classroom and running stuff. It's about a consultative approach. And every time that you are meeting these people and you're consult consultative or coaching or whatever, it's another opportunity where you're sort of nudging that environment on a bit. You're, you, know, you, you know, people are often say, you know, I like the way that you dealt with that or I like the way you really listened and all you're doing is exactly the same as you do in the classroom but you're just bringing it into sort of real life so that they don't feel like no one wants to be told what to do all the time it's just i think we're not you know in these times people expect to be consulted considered and you know and involved in it as much as you can you know yeah i don't i don't think it's namby pamby i think it is as you say it, it, it's about bringing people with you it's just about skillfully trying to influence people and respect their own knowledge and experience and it, it's just it's just a skillful way of, of approaching that i think so i don't think it's namby pamby <laughs> so in your defense okay so i don't need therapy then well i didn't say that but uh, okay well fair enough well listen paul thank you very much for sharing your thoughts on that because i know you've got quite a significant experience of both internal and external and i know that we've both worked in places where there's been that a very mixed culture actually of some you know islands of great practice and then some areas where it is more traditionally minded yes. and different kind of pressures on different trainers different kind of pressures on different learners so it's it, it's interesting to hear your your thoughts on that so thank you very much for taking the time to do that pleasure hope it's useful yeah it was so thank you and i'm now going to play out with scroobius pip and thou shalt not kill
always. <laughs> thou shalt always kill. 